Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Oh, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 283 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. Thrilled you're here for this bonus mini episode, which is brought to you by my Patreon supporters, all of them at every level. Thank you. I really mean it. The $1 patrons are amazing and awesome, as are all my patrons at every level. You allow me to do this work. You pay for my time to produce and host this show. And also, if you're at the $5 a month or up level, you get to use me as your mini coach. You ask me any question you want about anything, preferably writing related, but you know, whatever. And I will answer it on this podcast for you. Um, If this makes you nervous, if you've thought about it, but you're like, I don't want to ask that and have my name attached, you and I can have a conversation about that and we can redact your name. We can change your name. Um, I know that I have a bunch of patrons at this level and y'all could use me more. So I don't want you ever to feel weird or scared to ask anything. Uh, This collection of questions I've got I've got three questions, but there's a bunch of questions within those questions. They're fantastic and awesome, and I can't wait to answer them. And um, also, they're important. So let's get into them, shall we? This first set of questions about beta readers is from Tuomas. Hello, Tuomas. All right. Uh, He says, my book has gone through the structural editing phase, but I should hold off on the copy editing until the beta reader phase is done, right? There are a lot of questions and they are stacked about beta readers. So I'm going to answer one at a time. Uh, So you've done the structural edit. You've got the developmental editor who has done the structural edit with you. It's also often called the content edit or the story edit or the developmental edit. Um, But you've done that big one. You've done the big revision. And now you are thinking about moving on to the next stage, which is copy editing. Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm going to go up to the 30,000 foot level and talk to you about how I feel about beta readers. Beta readers, especially in the indie community, in the self-publishing community, beta readers are sometimes, no, often treated as necessary. And I would like to be very clear that they are not. What is a beta reader? A beta reader is someone who reads your work, usually for free, to tell you what they think about it, uh, to raise any big flags about, um, oh my gosh, I I just cannot believe this character would do that. Why would that happen? Or why would she say that? Or that's not in her character. Or this part of the plot didn't make any sense. Um, and they can be very helpful if you are very careful I think that beta readers are often a good thing to utilize if you are going to self-publish, because if you are going through an agent and they get you a traditional deal, you've got a lot more eyeballs on this project. Sometimes beta readers can help us if we are publishing um, independently to feel a little bit more confident in this story that we have moving forward, and that can be great. Here is the danger of beta readers. They are by their very nature, not professional. 
You are not paying them. Uh, You're not entering into any kind of contract with them. You're asking them for a favor. This is not something like hiring a sensitivity read, which you should always pay for. Uh, This is a favor usually done by people who really enjoy reading in this genre. That is crucial. You have to be able to find people who enjoy reading in this genre. A beta reader is not your sister. It could be if you have written a memoir and your sister is passionate about memoirs, Um, but a sister or a very close friend, they are often too close to you to be a good beta. If there's something crucially, direly important that they want to point out to you, but they don't want to hurt your feelings, they're kind of useless to you. So if you're going to use beta readers, I like to use beta readers, preferably that you don't know very well but that you have perhaps conversed with a little bit to know that they would be right for you. This question, let's go, um, oh, okay, wait, before we go back down into Thomas's questions, I just want to make sure that I say beta readers can be harmful. Used or deployed at the wrong time, they can kill a book. Uh, I have seen people use beta readers at the wrong time, too early, or the wrong beta readers, and the books go up in flames so that not even the ash is there. There's no residual ash to even tuck in a drawer for the writer to work on later because the beta reader was either mean and unhelpful or even worse, polite and unhelpful, Um, incorrect and unhelpful. Those are the kind of things that can wreck on an author's uh, confidence. And then that book doesn't get out in the world and that pisses me off. So um, in early drafts, in your first couple or three or six revisions of a book, I never recommend beta readers at all. They are not welcome in this process. Beta readers are really to point out holes in plots, holes in motivation, um, things like that. So... You can't, if Thomas, with all these questions you're asking me, I believe that you are convinced that you could benefit from some beta readers. I know that you are independently publishing this book, and I know you personally, and I think you can handle it. So I think that this is probably a great decision for you to make to get some beta readers. Um, you can, and, and this is where it's author's choice. Um, if you want to use them before copy editing, you can. And if you want to use them after copy editing, you can. However, if you think that they might find some things that you might want to adjust, which they might or might not, then yes, I would do it before copy editing because anytime you go back into the draft after copy editing, you will be introducing errors, period. It's the way of the world. It just happens. Um, So yes, deploy some beta readers before you go to copy edits. It's just going to make your book a stronger one. What I sometimes do is I will use advanced readers um, for like advanced reader copies of books. And sometimes I will use them to catch typos. Uh, if I'm self-publishing something, like I will ask them, tell me what you think, but also be looking for typos if any got passed to the copy editor and the proofer, because something always does, and that can be useful. But that's really, really a very micro use of beta readers. And if you're using them for anything bigger than grammar check, spelling check, then 
yes, it can be useful to use them before you copy edit. That was a very long answer to that particular question. We're going to go through the others quicker because I have defined what beta readers are and why they can be very dangerous. You know, so is driving a car and it's worth it, but you have to be careful um, and you don't want to get into the car with a bad driver, period. Your life is at stake. Your book is at stake. So just be careful. All right, moving forward with more questions. Uh, are there online communities of reliable but free beta readers I could tap into? Uh, yes, there are. And I want you to Google Readsy. You know how I love Readsy. R-W-E-D-S-Y and beta readers. Uh, the actual URL for it, but you don't have to remember it, just Google it, is blog.readsy.com slash beta hyphen readers. And they have a good, reliable list there. Um, there is uh, Nathan Bransford has a forum where they have a reader-author matchmaking service. There's a beta reader group on Goodreads that you can join, um, and that is seems to be a really valuable place. I would say that if I were looking for beta readers, I would go to the Goodreads beta reader group first. Uh, I would also search through there for your genre, which is memoir. Perhaps hit someone up, send them a, send them a private message within Goodreads who has used memoir readers as beta readers from that group and say, hey, Jan, did you have a good experience? Uh, would you do it again through Goodreads? Um, did you get great information? And hey, while I've got you, I've also written a memoir. Do you have any beta readers that you would like to recommend to me? Is there somebody who just knocked your sock off, socks off? Could I offer them to read my book? Perhaps they would be interested in the subject matter. I'd go there first. And then the second place I would go is, um, and I don't think this is actually listed at the Readsy page, but there is a 23,000 member private group on Facebook. Hate Facebook, but it's useful for some things. And it's called Beta Readers and Critique Partners. Uh, I feel even more strongly about Critique Partners than I do about Beta Readers. Um, critique Partners are also not professional. Please do not put your beautiful writing in the hands of someone who you can't trust with your life. Beta readers are a little bit safer to use once your book is out of all the revisions that you have done to it. Um, but people who use critique partners to send five or 10 pages back and forth, they work with those critique partners for years and nothing ever happens because the critique partner gives them advice and then they work, they act upon the advice that they've been given, but their books in the meantime are not getting written because they are so stuck at the beginning of the book, going over and over the beginning of the book or the middle of the book or wherever it is that you're stuck with your critique partner. The book has to be written first, my friends. You've heard me say this a million times and you'll hear it a million other times. Write the book first, revise the book first, and then start looking for outside help, but not until then. I love how heated up I get about this. Uh, and so th that's where I would send you to is the Readsy blog post, which has a bunch of links, the Goodreads group and that Facebook group called Beta Readers and Critique Partners. And please don't get a critique partner there. Okay. I think I've made that very clear. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Next question about it is, um, I'm a memoir. I'm a, bleh, I'm a member of several memoir writing groups on Facebook. Do you think it would be a good idea to ask for beta readers there? Yes, absolutely. Yes. They're already thinking about memoir and studying memoir. And, uh, oftentimes if you're dealing with other authors as a beta reader, Yes, yes, it's free. You're asking them to do a free service for you, but you do need to be willing to return it to them. 
if you are dealing with other writers. Oftentimes, my favorite beta readers that I have used in the past have come to me organically because they loved my books and that's how I got to them, How that's how they got to me. Uh, but they're just readers. I love beta readers who are just readers and not writers if they are passionate about the genre in which you write because this is the this is the gold right here they will come to you and they will say uh this this didn't feel right i didn't like this part and they can't tell you anything else which is great because that puts all of the control into your hands to figure out what they were feeling and why and what you could or should do if there is even a should in there so yes, go ahead and ask and be prepared to repay that, which is just good karma anyway. Uh, how many beta readers should I try to find? Author's choice. You, um, in the past, I have used one. I have one favorite beta reader. And whenever I write romance or women's fiction, she's the one. She's my gal. I rely on her 100%. She will be completely honest with me. Always. Thank you, Laura Jean. She's not a writer. She's a reader. Uh, or you could have... Oh God, what's a terrible number? Uh, I would say anything more than 10 is terrifying. Um, and I don't think you, but if you're starting with brand new, fresh people you've never worked with, maybe 10, maybe 10 is a good number. I'm guessing. Uh, I would love to hear from anybody else as, as to what they feel about this. Um, but here's the thing. Your next question is, what's a minimum requirement for consistent feedback? Here's the problem with beta readers. You will not get consistent feedback. And therefore, you can't use beta readers unless you're already pretty solid about this book. Because you will get people always, you will always have the beta readers say something like, I loved this character when he rode off on the motorcycle. And the next person will say, I hated that character when he rode off on the motorcycle. And they're both smart and they're both intelligent and they're both saying diametrically opposed things and you've got to figure it out. Um, one of my friends, Nicole Peeler, who runs the grad program at Seton Hill, which is a great uh, low residency program that I actually believe in. It's the commercial popular fiction program at Seton Hill. Uh, she has the rule of three, that if three people independently, not like in a, not like in a classroom setting where people are just listening and buying into what somebody else is saying, but if three people independently come to you and say, uh, it was jacked up what he did to her and I didn't want to finish reading the book after that. If they say the same thing, then she takes it on board and fixes it. I have used the rule of three. It works really well and it's frustrating because sometimes three people will say the same thing and I hate it. But they're probably right. Unless they're not good readers. And it's very hard to judge whether they are good readers of a genre when you are meeting them on Facebook or on uh, Goodreads. So again, a lot of this you have to weigh with your heart and soul when you get the feedback and not take everything on board. You're, I would say in beta reader feedback, you're only going to take about, uh, this is a guess, 30 to 40% of their feedback really seriously and use it in your writing. The rest you're going to have to check against your gut and say, are they right? Uh not really, I, but I'm going to fix this sentence and that might help it clear up a little bit. Um, let's see, more questions. Should I have a, uh, should I have some kind of a written contract with each beta reader regarding the copyright and distribution of the manuscript? Is it unreasonable to be worried about a beta reader trying to steal my manuscript or publishing it online without my consent? You do not have to have a written contract with them. Copyright, you already own it. When you wrote it, 
you owned the copyright. As long as you have someplace on your computer where you can prove that, look, this book was extant in this version in December 2019 and in January 2022 when I gave it to this person, um, you would be able to prove copyright if that ever happened. Beta readers don't do that. Uh, beta readers who do this a lot love being beta readers. They never would. And and mo- um, well, a lot of them, I'm not going to say most of them, but a lot of them have no interest in writing. And the the real truth is, is that people who spend time reading a book are not the pirate criminals who will be pirating your book once it's up. Every book will be pirated. It is almost never worth going after the pirates because honestly, they're usually not selling your book. They are, you know, trying to use the book for some kind of phishing scheme. Um, But those will not be, be beta readers and you will be pirated. It's just something that happens after the book is out. You do not have to worry about it with them, you own the copyright. However, I will say very clearly that if you are independently published, please register your books if you live in the United States uh, with the Copyright Office. It makes proving that you have been actually like um, plagiarized, if that happens, so not pirate, not piracy, but if you get plagiarized and, and somebody tries to steal your book from you that way, it makes the lawsuit so much faster. And I have seen this in action. Um, so do spend the $35 or whatever it is. Might be up to 50. I can't remember. To register with the copyright office. Uh, that is important. So I think that's everything I want to say about beta readers. Thank you for the excellent question, Tuomas. My overall guiding principle is just use caution if you use them, but, but they can be super helpful. So I would like you, Tuomas, to come back to me after you've used them and tell me what you thought. All right, now we're going to get into a difficult question from Brian. Um, Brian, let's go. Here we go. Brian says, hi, and why am I still doing this to myself? Three and a half years have passed since I started typing my memoir. Not a living soul has read a single sentence of my 100,000 plus words because I have followed the rules and kept it to myself. The subject matter is painful to relive And several times I have seriously thought about standing up and walking away. Even now, instead of revising, I write you. In July of 2017, when I began this project, I had probably never read a memoir, ghostwritten for a celebrity or otherwise. I started with nothing, no direction, and no idea what I was doing. It's probably safe to say that I still have no idea what I am doing. I thought anyone could simply start typing. At about the 50,000 word mark, I started reading other memoirs a woman who spent time in a woman's prison, a woman who grew up in a Hasidic Jewish community, a woman that grew up on a Mormon survivalist compound, and almost two dozen more memoirs. I quickly learned all these authors have been highly educated, so I began reading books on how to memoir, your book, Fast Draft, your memoir included. I am at the point I could recite parts of chapter 20 of your book. I stopped watching television and I stopped talking to people. I know how to sit down and do the work. It has become a habit. This experience was supposed to be therapeutic, but it wound up being the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. When will I know it's time to quit? When do I stop, stand up, and press print? When do I call what I have completed a truck draft, point at it, and say aloud, that is for me and no one else? Wait, I might have missed my point. I can only write so good, so well. When do I look at the best I can do and accept it is the best I can do? and then move to the last paragraph 
of the last message, which was to say aloud, that is for me and no one else. Sorry, I'm exhausted, Brian. Brian, okay, my heart is so full for what you are going through. Uh, You are going through a very difficult time that writers go through. You are not alone. You are absolutely not alone in this incredibly frustrating feeling of what the hell am I doing? What have I been doing? Is there a point to this? And how can I even tell if it's any good, if I have a point, if I should keep going? What have I done? This is a large, this is one of the biggest, hugest existential crises that any writer can face and you are smack dab in the middle of it and it is terrible. There's nothing good about the feeling that you are in. Um, what I will say is I don't know if you want this book to be shared with other readers. I don't know if you want to try to get it traditionally published with an agent or if you want to self-publish it or if you just want to say, this is for me and no one else. So I'm going to approach it in a couple of different directions, okay? Um, If you want to share this with other people in some kind of format, it sounds like you are at the point of needing an editor. You need eyes on it. You need eyeballs on this work if you're going to share it with somebody else. Um, because you have reached the point at which you can't tell what part is good and what part is bad, what part is strong, what part isn't. That is such, oh, it's just, I, I am, I'm really empathizing because, um, we've all been there. So if you want to share it with somebody else, I would recommend that you start looking for an editor. It is, I believe, too early for beta readers to let other people have eyes on it unless there is someone that you trust with your whole heart and soul who would only support you and who would not give that strange eyebrow lift when they're done reading it, which you would know your book was trash and that you should throw it out just because they made their eyebrow go that way for a second. Um, Showing it to somebody else at this stage is usually too dangerous. However, I'm wondering if you need a little bit of um, encouragement from someone. So there may be somebody in your life that you trust that you can show a tiny little bit to, three pages of, and say, but if you do this, if you do this dangerous thing, um, I want to insist that you instruct that person who loves you. I, and say something like, I am a brand new writer. I'm giving you a lot of power. I want you to tell me what moves you and what you love about this piece. That's all. That's all I want from you. Unless they are a professional in the industry, they are to give you no advice. They are to tell you what is good in this book. The person who can tell you what to do with a book and how to change it and how to make it better is a professional and you can hire one. I recommend 
readz.com or you can always use my affiliate link rachelheron.com slash readz because I love it so much. Um, those are expensive and it's possible that so that is something you may have to save up for a long time to hire someone to help you with. However, that is the number one way to get better at writing. It is uh, having an having an editor, having a good editor work with you on your project is the ultimate master class because this is a professional who is focused on your particular writing skill and level and can tell you how to make it better. It's not reading a book about how to make sentences and paragraphs and and scenes better, um, which is really nebulous and hard to apply. It is a professional having their hands on your work, helping you with it. So that's the next step. Um, Unless, of course, you feel like your vision has been strong enough and you want to send it out to agents to see what they say and then see if they want to take it out to an editor or see if you can get an agent that way. Um, I didn't pick up in, uh, anything like that in your note, but I may have missed it, in which case that's absolutely fine. You don't need an editor to send query letters to agents. You absolutely do not. Uh, so that would be another way to go if you want this to be traditionally published, if you want other people to read it. If this is if this is a project that you want to be just for you and no one else, then my friend, I think you're done. I think you have done it. I think it is time perhaps to put down your pencil and and the laptop and walk away for a while and feel really, really, really wonderful about the fact that you have done something that most people never do. And I want you to feel that way no matter what, no matter whether you want to edit this and shape it and take it out into the world or whether you want to keep it for yourself. You did something that 97% of people who start writing books never finish the book. 97% of people who start writing books never finish the book. That does not include listeners of this podcast because you guys are weird and anomalous and awesome and wonderful and you're obsessed and you do finish books. And I know that because I talked to you. Um, Brian, you finished your memoir. You spent years crafting your memoir and that is incredible and I want you to feel incredibly proud about this amazing incomprehensibly wonderful thing that you did for yourself and a lot of it may have felt like agony and still feels like agony in the end I believe it is therapeutic however with these kind of um, feelings that we raise in our own writing, there must be really good self-care too. So it may be time to stand up from the desk and get back into the world and watch television and read books and refill the creative well that you have been pouring into this book. Um, Go hang out with people if you can during plague times. Um, It is time to reward yourself for this incredibly hard work that you have done. And I'm really proud of you. And I'm very, very glad that you asked this difficult question because you are not alone. There are people listening to this show who resonate with every single word that you said. So you did it. You did it. You're asking this question. You did it. What do you do next? you get to choose. Um, And whatever you decide will be the right course of action for you. And you can always change your mind about things in the future. Um, But I just want you to feel really, really good about your accomplishment because it is incredible. Really, really great job, Brian. Thank you for asking this. 
All right. And the last question comes from Bienk. It's spelled B-J-E-N-K, and I don't know how to say that. Um, Bienk, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that. Perhaps Bienk, you could tell me if I'm if I'm really uh, brutalizing that. Okay. Uh, you say hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for being a source of source of inspiration. What a journey this has been. I am currently on the fourth draft of my first novel, and I can feel the magic happening. Let me just glory in that for a minute. The story and my characters are coming into their own and I am really loving it. I made great strides during the year it took it. I made great strides during the year it took as a writer. I have a logistic question for you. I have about two hours a day to write about because of my full-time job. So I start at 5.30 a.m. and I stop by 8 a.m. I now have at least four more novel ideas I want to get to and I keep noting them down in a new project plan. I am wondering if I should split my time to write the other projects and continue editing or simply complete the editing until I'm satisfying until I'm satisfied and move on to the next novel is what I'm wondering. I am learning what works for me and I am just worried that editing is slowing me down. In your podcast, you mentioned you write in the morning and then edit in the afternoon. For now, I only have early mornings. In your experience, what worked best? My kindest regards. Um, I believe you might be catching up in my podcast because um, nowadays I really write and revise in the mornings and afternoons are reserved for all the business side of stuff and for teaching. Um so I do have a strong opinion about this. I really do. After many years of trying many, many different things, here's what I have found for me and for the writers around me. I have found that if I have, say, I, I like this, if I have two hours a day, that's 10 hours a week. If we're looking at a five, hour, a five days a week uh, of, of work, you got 10 hours a week. In this week, you could progress one book forward by 10 hours, or you could progress two books forward by five hours if you were to split it right down the middle. That 10 hours devoted to one book is going to get that book done so much faster, literally twice as fast as if you do, if you halved that time and gave it to something else. I always try to write more than one book at a time. And a lot of times, um, this also may be what I have said in the past, is that I will be working on a project, but then I'll have something in copy edits or something um, that needs to be done on a deadline, uh, structural edits or something. So I'll keep writing in the morning and then I will be doing um, what I need to for the deadline in the afternoon. But that is a lot smaller and that is hard for me to do and I don't really do it anymore. I tend to take all of the time I have and throw it at one project until that project is done. And then I get to throw all of that energy at the next project. And that is how my projects get done. When I try to, and I have tried many times to, you know, here's my 10 hours, I'm going to give six hours to this project, two hours to this one, one hour to this one. And I've already forgotten what I said. So whatever hours left to the the other one, nothing gets done nothing gets done. And I don't know why that is. They should get done. But instead, everything seems to slow down and nothing ever finishes and nothing gets off my desk. Uh, And I want to say very clearly that in these two or two and a half hours that you have on a daily basis, if it's five days a week, I wrote something like 13 or 14 of my books 
in just one hour a day regularly while I was working my full-time day job. This We only need as writers, um, two hours a day is sublime. Three hours a day is what I try to get. And sometimes my brain doesn't want to cooperate, but really human brains tap out at this kind of deep work level at about three to four hours. Most human beings can't do it on a regular basis. And we're talking about the greatest thinkers of the world can't do more than three to four hours of sustained, focused, deep work per day. Two to three hours is what the normal person, like you and me, can do on a regular basis. So you're already in the sweet spot. You have the sweet spot. If you went full-time writing from your job, you probably wouldn't write more than you do now. You'd still have those two to three hours a day. Um, So what I want you to know is that With this focused determination on finishing the editing until you're satisfied will allow you to move fully wholeheartedly into the next novel sooner than you think. It just does feel like it is taking forever. And especially when you're revising your first book, there is that question, you know, that Brian was talking about, like, how do you know when it is done? And I was just talking to um, some students this week about this and Yet another student came to me and said, when do I know it is time to hire an editor and move on to the next phase in this book? Uh, Because she is self-publishing. And I realized that when people come to me and say, when am I done with this book? It is because they're usually just about done with this book. They, the question has been rising up in them and they want to ask it of somebody because they're very, very close. Um, Usually I hear from people at either one of two stages that they want to hire an editor. The first time they want to hire an editor is after they finish their first draft, um, or sometimes even before they finish their first draft. And I think that's too early. If first draft is a train wreck, hiring an editor, oh my God, might just confuse everything. It can be done. Sometimes it is done. Uh, But I think it's too early. But after the person has done the big second make sense second draft and then they've done a third draft and then they've done a fourth or they're doing passes or whatever it is um, that you do it where you are it sounds like you're very close to being done bank so keep going throw all of that time you have at this book and then move on to the next one you have enough time you have a great wonderful amount of time to spend on this and um, that's my advice and you can throw it out if you don't like it. But that is my experience on the ground and watching other people do this. Uh, I always think of it like the the debt snowball method, if you've ever heard of this. Um, Dave Ramsey, who is a bit of a tool, um, but he is a financial guru kind of guy. And he came up with the debt snowball payoff scheme. So if you've got say you've got five credit cards, um, you can rank that you've got five credit cards that you want to pay off, and they've all got different rates of interest. Yes, it makes sense to pay the minimums and then pay whatever leftover money that you have, put that toward the card with the highest interest rate. So that gets chopped down a little bit faster. However, he does not push that And when I was doing this kind of debt payoff for myself, his method really worked for me that I chose the smallest um, amount of credit, debt. So 
even if it was a low interest rate, if I only owed $1,000 on this one credit card, but I owed multiple thousands on the other credit cards, um, I would pay, make the minimum payments all out on all of them. And then I had an extra $200 that I was going to throw at that smallest credit card. So it's $1,000 of debt. I'm going to throw 200 extra dollars at it per month. In five months, I'm going to have that whole credit card paid off. And suddenly, I only have four credit cards. And that feels really good. And now I have not, I have $200 plus the minimum payment for that credit card, which is now gone, that I'm going to throw at the second smallest credit card on that list. And that snowball effect gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that works the same way in writing somehow. I mean, the metaphor does break down because at some point we only have 24 hours a day. Um, But right now, the least amount of work you have to do on any of the five books in your brain, because you said you have four projects in mind and this book, the least amount of work you have to do on any of those is the one in your hands. Throw all of your energy at getting that off your plate. And then you can throw all of that beautiful energy all 10 hours a week to the next book on the list. Um, And here is where I will say you can push it. You can do whatever the hell you want. You know that. Um, But if you'd like to follow that advice, here's where you can push it. If you have a daily goal, you know, you're done by 8 a.m., but it sounds juicy and delicious to play on one of those other book ideas after you get home from work. You're not taking any time away from the planned time of writing, but you can tell yourself, okay, if it's seven o'clock and I have a few minutes between the kids' bath times, I'm not going to look at Twitter. I'm going to play with that delicious new idea. I'm going to put a little bit of time there because I'm not stealing it from anybody else, from any other project. I'm just going to do that. So um, that can be a really useful reward to work to work toward as well. Um, and that's something I do. All right. I think that this mini episode has gone on for 37 minutes. That is more than long enough. All of my questions are answered now. So um, if you have sent me a question and it got lost in spam, because that has been happening lately in both my email inbox and over at Patreon, I don't get notifications all the time that messages come in. Please hit me up. Um, But otherwise, if you are one of my patrons at patreon.com slash Rachel at the $5 and up level, and you have questions about anything, anytime, send them to me. I collect them together and I do an episode like this and I really love making them. So please tell me how you're doing. Tell me how your writing is going. Find me somewhere online and let me know because I really do care. And thank you, everyone. Happy writing. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. <laughs>